Hello everyone, welcome back to Overseas Overheard, your favorite podcast, obviously. Um, our apologies, firstly, for the delay in uploading our episodes. Um, school ends, life happens, summer came, but now we are back on track. And um, without further ado, I'll introduce today's episode, which is titled Overseas Poets. Our guest speakers are Michelle Lin and Liv Kane from Kenyan. They will be reciting poems which they have written themselves as well as improvise poem right on the spot during the interview something i could never do and on a side note so our logo has changed um just in case anyone is confused about why that happened we just want to have a new design that reflect more of the diversity and the nature of our podcast thank you and see you on the next episode i hope you enjoyed this uh, hi everyone, my name is Michelle Lin, um, she, her, hers. I'm, I call Toronto, Canada home. I am a rising junior here at Kenyon College. I'm double majoring in English and French literature with the concentration in creative writing and I'm really excited to be here with my friend Liv. Uh, hi everybody, I'm Liv Kane. I am a rising senior. I am from San Antonio, Texas. I use she, her, hers pronouns. Um, I am an English and film double major, uh, and I'm also very excited to be talking with Michelle today. Um, we're actually starting by doing some pre-interview writing. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're going to take about two minutes just to write basically like an impression poem, but mm-hmm. that's what we'll do for the next two minutes, and then we'll start the interview. Mm-hmm. So Sounds good. Whenever you're All right, we finished oh, it. We finished it. Should we read? Yes, I guess so. Do you want to go first? Okay, we'll start first. Um, so these are my pre-interview impressions of Liv Kane. Liv Kane is someone who carries herself with grace, grace upon grace upon grace. She walks around campus with a gentle warmth that films you, that fills you from the gut and upwards. What I've always admired about Liv is that she's the kind of person who seems like she always looks people in the eyes when she talks to them. And as someone who is really afraid of that vulnerable human connection, I want to be more like her in that way. <gasps> Mine is a... I guess I was less specific. And this, I think, had to do probably with my first interactions with you when I just basically noticed your amazing clothing style. It's basically like two sentences. Mm. Um, but uh, patterns and fabrics and deep colors, a woman stitched together by place and memory. Corduroy and liquor, flowing curtains of muslin and petals. She is quilted time, a never-ending clock. Oh my god. That is Michelle. Um, and I guess we'll go right into the interview mm-hmm. process if you're, yeah. if you're good with that. Uh-huh. Um, I was like asking this question, especially for writers, but what would you say your Genesis story as a writer is if you had to build one? When I was in middle school, I was very obsessed with like, you know, like volunteer hours and, um, on my 14th birthday, actually, I was scrolling online through like volunteering teenager like websites to see like what else I could like pick up, like what else could I fill my soul with? Um, uh, but there was this one like poetry workshop that was like if you just come and like write with us we'll give you like volunteer hours for it because you're you're gonna be giving back to community in which like maybe we'll feature you on some murals maybe you'll like read at like public libraries so in that way like it was also a volunteering program quote unquote Mm -hmm. and i went to the first one and 
it was so funny because I had this like gut feeling that's like my life is gonna change today and that is how I met like my slam like poetry coach and that is literally like why I like set on this like path to be a writer because that's my Genesis story. Liv, do you have a Genesis story? I would say I probably started uh, thinking that I might be a writer when I was in eighth grade mm -hmm. and I went to an old folks home and read poetry. Um, and that was the first time I'd ever read anything that I had written out loud and it was just to a bunch of random old people. Um, and I had interesting responses to my work and a lot of, it, particularly the old women, came up to me afterwards and they said things along the lines of like I wish I had like pursued writing or I wish mm. I had done writing and I was like well shoot like this is definitely some form of like future <laughs> future me telling me I should probably pursue yeah. writing in some capacity but yeah that's that's my, my yeah, so. Genesis story yeah. this kind of goes along with the next question but um, as an international student mm. you experienced some major culture shock coming mm -hmm. to Kenyan uh, could you speak a little to that and how it, maybe it shaped your writing at all Mm. This question uh, used to confound me when mm -hmm. I first came here because um, I'm from Canada, mm -hmm. which in many ways is very, very similar to America. Mm -hmm. It's not. It's not that different. I. Some of my um, American friends were like, "That's like crazy, insane." <laughs> like I'm like, no, it was. It was just a. It was just a border, really. Mm -hmm. um, so in many ways, Canadians like grow up with the same like American TV shows mm -hmm. and like music. So it wasn't like I was hearing like Dua Lipa for the first time mm -hmm. in my life. Though she's not even American, but uh, you know what I mean. Uh, but I will say that, well, in general, this is a stereotype, but I do think it holds true. I do think Americans are less polite than Canadians. Just the general, my general interactions with people. I used to think that like some people were like mad at me or like I had done something incredibly wrong because um, I used to just whenever I would say sorry, sometimes they would say like, oh, you're good, or they would just be like, mm, and I would be like, what, what does that mean? Like, oh God. Um, so yeah, people in Canada apologize a lot, like a lot more than Americans. So general, general culture shock, um, that's a, that is a, a difference. Um, so you're from Toronto. I am from Toronto. Uh, and you're also from a neighborhood of mostly immigrants. Mm -hmm. Could you talk to a little bit about, you know, that relationship that you have with the place you're from? Yeah, I, um, I'm from Scarborough. I'm from Scarborough, Toronto, and you, many of you probably don't know that, but it is like Toronto in general is an immigrant city. But that place, especially, it's like, like you sort of like expected your like neighbor to like not really know English because they were new here. But because of that, the the city was um, and the place I grew up was was very vibrant. I ended up to mm -hmm. like know a lot of the specifics of like many different cultures. When I coming to Kenyan, I think I took that multicultural aspect like for granted because a lot of people like will be like I've never had like this kind of food before and I'll be like what like mm -hmm. what do you mean <laughs> and yeah that I would say that that is my like intrinsic like tie to that like neighborhood but like what about you live like where did you grow up tell me oh I uh, grew up in San Antonio Texas mm -hmm. uh, it's a largely Hispanic community mm -hmm. um very very Catholic um, and very very family oriented I found that the almost the entire city there's this huge um emphasis on family ties mm. which I think was really wonderful to grow up there um I did grow up in a city although when I say I'm from Texas a lot of people you know picture farmland or right. <laughs> living on some sort of ranch and far away from people but no I did grow up in a city and I I got lucky in the fact that like I grew up in like a relatively diverse neighborhood and uh, you're heavily involved in Kai events and Snowden here on mm -hmm. campus I'm about to have uh, Michelle define both of those things for our listeners um, but could you kind of talk about how they fit into your Kenyan experience as well? 
Yeah, so um, CHI is an acronym short for Kenyan Asian Identities. It's a club for all Asian identifying people, East, South, you know, the entire, the entire, and the entire diaspora is invited. Um, so what I do, I am the current president, though I will be handing it over once I go abroad next year. Just a general like cultural events, like food events. I help plan like Lunar New Year. Um, sometimes we bring in like cultural food, like boba, or like we'll have like food sales so the campus can enjoy that. In general, those are our like event kind of things. We've also done professor panels, mm -hmm. meaning we've connected like Asian professors in all the different kinds of like faculty, STEM, English to like Asian students. That's something I like championed mm -hmm. and I started, I'm very like proud and happy of. So that's one of my crowning achievements as president. So that's Kai. Um, Snowden, Snowden is a house on campus. Mm -hmm. It is theme or division, I'm not quite sure, but you basically have to um, apply and live there and it's a multicultural house. So you have to talk about like why living in a multicultural center will benefit you and why you need it. I would say that living in Snowden gave me um, a lot of new friends that I wouldn't have be gotten as close to if I didn't like live with them and it's very much a safe space for like these different like multicultural identities to, like interact and we're not all from the same like cultural background so there's like opportunity to learn there as well and mm -hmm. they host like food truck events they co-sponsor a lot of events I think my my friends are the managers so they've helped me like co-sponsor some of the Kai events like they've helped me hand out chopsticks and whatnot and, yeah I really value that sort of like community living in Snowden and actually now I get to talk about all your wonderful accolades which is exciting oh, you've been featured wow. on you know button poetry and in several online magazines uh, how mm -hmm. would you maybe describe your published career so far yeah so obviously um <laughs> to separate my poetic career from pre-button and after button <laughs> um before that i was doing a lot of like slam things mm -hmm. i went my team team toronto we went to um brave new voices mm -hmm. yeah. which is this international um competition for like youth slam poetry competition for youth we placed first in a round because of my team actually because of my coach that i met in my in my genesis story yeah. everything ties back together <laughs> we made a video for one of my poems um that was sponsored through the public library systems mm -hmm. and i submitted it to bun poetry's like video competition it ended up winning i believe the the youth prize and now I'm, I'm published on their website, like lots of hits, lots of people mm -hmm. viewing it. I've also recently been published in The Offing, mm -hmm. which is a, um, a literary magazine online. Very, very excited for that. I think that I recently started to win a lot of awards in a collegiate level as well. Like Kenyon's giving me some writing awards. So I feel like my career has really started to like push through since my sophomore year. Yeah. And you should, for any of our listeners, you should read all of Michelle's work that is out there and also okay. watch that video. I'm wondering if Chloe can like, put a link or something in some capacity. Beautiful, beautiful video. Oh, okay. thank you. But Liv, tell, tell me about you. Tell me about your accolades. Um, I published with Sunset Press, um, mm -hmm. on-campus publishing uh, press that is student-run, and they read my poetry portfolio and they said, hey, these are pretty autobiographical you should just write nonfiction, and I gave that a try and now I have a nonfiction book out in the world which is very exciting and I think was like a big push for me because it was a lot of like writing about things 
um, that I think I was using poetry to kind of hide and writing about them, you know, as candidly as possible uh, for this book was actually like a very healing process. So I think maybe not even in terms of like literary accolades, but just like for wow. myself having that book out there. And then also like, you know, I had my fam, my, my like core family read it before I published it. Uh, so like having them kind of respond to the things that I wrote in it. And now weeks and months after publication, having like more of my family and friends from home read it and respond to it has been like really, I mean, scary obviously, but like really, really wonderful. And I think thus far, like that's probably the biggest, most exciting part of like my writing, do we call it a career? We're like babies. I mean, writing. yeah, like name it, claim it. I think you have a really solid writing career. Thanks. Um, but it's been, yeah, that's been a dream. And again, thank you Sunset Press for all of that. Mm -hmm. And actually, going along with I guess Kenyan organizations and things like that we both work for the Kenyan Review we both do which is very exciting could you kind of define the Kenyan Review for our listeners and then also talk a little bit about what you do for them and how mm -hmm. that's kind of shifted and changed over the years you've been here mm -hmm, mm -hmm. so in the simplest terms Kenyan Review is a literary magazine that isn't directly associated with the college it's its own like entity um organization but because it's such in close proximity to kenyan a lot of students get the opportunity to work with it another funny anecdote i was just randomly googling um like top 20 literary magazines because i mm -hmm. want to you know like shoot my shot in terms of like sending my work out there and then it was like number eight or like it was definitely in the top 20 of these top literary magazines in the world and i was like oh god like oh my god like i've been working like with the top 20 literary magazine i didn't even know it so um that is what the kenya review is but I started working there as an associate my first year at Kenyon. An associate is someone who reads submissions, reads about like 8 to 12 per week, and we vote them up or down. And two associates voting, or one associate voting a submission up will get it to the editor. Mm -hmm. And if the two of us vote it down, the submission is not sent up further. Um, and after you're an associate for a year, you can be an intern. Mm -hmm. I, my sophomore year, worked as the copy editing intern under Kirsten Reach. Mm -hmm. And I got to copy edit a lot of the blog posts. Um, and because, like, again, like, such a great privilege to be connected in this literary magazine, I even got the chance to write my own blog post mm -hmm. to interview my own, like, favorite author to, for the Kenya interview. Absolutely amazing. One of my, my favorite um, thing to do on campus is the Kenya interview. Mm -hmm. Liv, your um, chronology? Re relatively similar. Mm -hmm. um, I started working in as, as an associate my freshman year. Mm -hmm. um, my sophomore year, I was a social media intern and I have been a social media intern ever since. I What really got me excited about the Kenyan Review was that I got to go to like readings mm -hmm. and like there are like writing workshops that the writers like host for us which is not something that I've seen other literary magazines do and just to have it be so like close and like connected to our school and be willing to like work with students bonkers mm -hmm. amazing absolutely absolutely um, we're, I'm checking the time real quick. Uh, we're moving on to the part of the uh, interview where we are reading our own work. Did, did you want to go first? Did you want me to go first? I can go first. Perfect. I can Thank go you. First. This is about um, hunger and desire in a lineage of Chinese immigrants and matriarchs. Yeah. So this, this mm -hmm. so this one is called Hunger as What is Owed to Me. 
The woman in my family passed down knowledge of what to avoid. At the live animal market. Anything that roils the stomach. Cow tongues drowned in brine. Gouged fish eyeballs phantom blinking. The woman in my family slit squealing heads without mercy because fresh is best. I howl at the first flush of blood. How quickly something can be alive than not. They remind me girls are left for the vultures in the homeland when they can only feed the sons. Sometimes family means no hard feelings, only sacrifice for survival. I am alive today because they fed me scraps from their own hands, so truly food is the wrong death to grieve. I stop naming the creatures we bring home. Oh, monger of all mongers, watch these women make martyrs out of meat. Dress the animal in panko and lard, crack the ribs with a contained violence, fork the flesh tender for the mouth. The men of my family watch us cook, joke about how they would never. Their hands are only good for war, gripping a gun and their dick. I look at their clean fingernails and know them a hypocrite. I fantasize about dismembering their members. I name all the ways they look like gutted cows, their red jowls, their slobbering bellies. The women still eat last. This is another lesson. Silence is a trauma response. A boy chokes me at recess and I wait politely while he satiates his bloodlust. I name all the ways I am butchered meat, my severed consciousness, my stunned marrow. I wonder about the history of marinated chicken feet, which old crone had to gnaw on those bones and call herself full, if chili and vinegar are staple seasonings to placate a family's weakest link. Look at how we make delicacies out of scraps, how we gloat over it, shudder and cling and cry out, always going back to the market for more. Whew! <laughs> oh my god. That was beautiful, Thank beautiful. You. Oh my god. And I'm remembering now because you are or you have a history of like slim poetry, it is so amazing to also hear you read that out loud. I've I've read that poem so many times, but it's a completely different different experience to hear you. Oh god, that was beautiful. I hope you all enjoyed yeah. that. That was so beautiful. Um, I'll be reading the first poem I think I ever published, and it's for oh, my mother and my cousin. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, so this is also high school Liv. So this is back when Liv used to write poetry. But um, yeah, I guess I won't do too much of an intro either. Uh, it's called Thoughts from a Believer. Um, I began questioning God on a Tuesday in third grade as we cut thick black-brown planarian in half with a scalpel that made my fingers twitch. It doesn't feel pain, but I wonder if it screamed. My mother shakes and closes her eyes, palms up with strings of tension running the length of her arms. A heavy breath dropped from lips, rage, nicotine streaming through engorged veins. Tears lace her wet eyelashes like a net and she looks up. We stand in church beside my father and I reach out to touch her to see if she is real. Heaven seems too sterile for a woman like my mother. Valhalla, with its dark evergreens and glowing cinders, may be more fit for such a fighter. The man tells me, through thick glasses clouding his corneas, that religion stimulates the same part of the brain that drugs and sex and music do. I don't argue. I don't agree. She cries with little girl tears, shouting to the I am that lives in our attic. Yellowed with age, her eyes search the cracks in the ceiling for answers. As I place a pillow over my head and scream, blocking her out, God is too tired to create a burning bush for my mother. 
One hot night, I have a dream about the land of the Israelites cascading dunes of fossilized finger bones folded in prayer, trees relinquishing leaves of brittle parchment to a sleepy wind, heaving from countless tired lungs. The Holy Spirit, a large gray duck sitting atop a throne pretending to be a dove. My little sister lays on a dirty blanket and wonders what life will be like when we die. I ask if she remembers the time before she was born as if the question is the answer and our eyes well in unison. To whatever God there is, you saved my mother from a hell that burned in between her ears and I'm not sure if I should thank you. I reach out to pull a single white thread from the infamous veil in front of my face and it unravels completely and from across the lake we stare, watching her heavy ashes sink to the bottom and I dare you to say that there is something bigger than us. Wow. I did not write like that when I was in high school. She used the word Valhalla, y'all. I did not know what that was in high school. I probably ended up looking it up because I don't think I really knew what it was. No, that that was that was good. Mm. God, we were very angsty writers, Michelle. Oh, goddamn. <laughs> what do you find yourself, if you had to distill it, what do you find yourself writing about most? Uh, and why do you think that might be? What I find myself writing about most, um, myself. <laughs> well, I mean, I, well, that, that was a joke. But um, I write about um, what it means to be the only daughter in like my Chinese like family, and to like have that sort of like weight of like carrying on like our name and our mm-hmm. legacy, especially overseas. And I also grew up in um, like my poem, a lineage of matriarchs it's just mm-hmm. my grandmother my mother and me mm-hmm. men fail us we we are not surprised um so i i have such a strong female influence in my life and i want to like for that to be seen as a positive thing especially mm-hmm. like in chinese culture where like sons are valued more in a similar vein which i think is why i've always been drawn to your work um i write mainly about women um mm-hmm. and the women in my family there's you know, long histories of inherited trauma, which I think have always interested me because they've made me, um, and this is something obviously I, I, I will work through throughout the rest of my life, but I'm fearful of men. So I think the mm. world of women has always been something that I have been drawn more towards. But yeah, that's that's a lot of what I read about. Oh, and the ocean. I read about uh, so much about the ocean. And I think that's just because that's mm-hmm. something that has been like very, that whole idea has been very healing for my mother and for mm-hmm. my grandmother. Yeah, using the natural world as a way to talk about, um, especially trauma, I think is something that is, in a lot of ways, actually inherently female, which I think yeah. is kind of wonderful that we can like, kind of like claim that space um, in writing, especially in places that are like not always welcoming. Yeah, um, we're both studying at Oxford next semester, so we'll both actually be in England surprisingly. So just I mean, yeah, if you we'll could talk hold hands about and we'll hold hands oh and gosh. sing Kumbaya Live. Um, I will be studying at Oxford for the whole year. I'll be doing mostly English stuff there. I I love Kenyan. I I really do. I say that from my whole heart. But I will say that the I think even the average like Kenyan student I like cannot relate to in terms mm-hmm. of like how they were able to afford like SAT or like mm-hmm. ACT prep classes and I think about like how the privilege here like makes my head hurt mm-hmm. and then and then sometimes I'm reminded like because Oxford is technically like I mean rankings like aren't everything but it's technically like ranked 
first in the world that that privilege is only like can only like be worse i i would say that that fear and that apprehension of the elitism i think is something that i mean i'm even talking to advisors here at kenyan Mm -hmm. people have warned me about and i think um i don't know this is actually coming from like the film department here things like that (laughs) i um specifically the film department here is very elitist very gatekeepy and i i think it makes my, my blood kind of boil every once in a while especially like there there are two female film majors um oh god in 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 my year there okay, there right. it's but i think just that kind of gatekeepiness um is something that is going to probably frustrate me at oxford as well um the hope is that i can go and kind of like spend a semester there and get that experience but potentially not you know live it for like years and years of my life I, but yeah overall it i was supposed to go last year but um you know the the pandemic shifted and changed everything so i think overall i'm really just excited to kind of actually see the dreamscape of oxford that i've been living out mm-hmm. in my head for a while and see exactly exactly what it's like that's true it's always the small things that culture shock you because mm-hmm. like my friend nat she's british and she was telling me about like beans on toast and she was telling me oh you were talking about she this, was yeah. showing like me images of beans on toast and i was like i'm not gonna there i will there'll be no beans on toast slander because i haven't had it yet but i but looking at it i'm like oh right my favorite meal we are actually wrapping up now um and i guess the last thing from your do it's just the poem, right? The yeah, new poem. Our um, post interview impressions. <laughs> Perfect. Um, and if you want to set the timer, we'll just take another two minutes. We'll take another uh, two minutes. And then we'll wrap up. Yeah, we'll go first. Um Liv Kane takes up space the way an ocean tide does. She has push and pull to her. She has so much depth if you'll only listen. Not everyone has access to her wisdom. You must ask her for it. I could wander poem to poem, but not fully know everything she has to say. Thank you, Michelle. <laughs> uh, this is kind of, I guess, in conversation with the first piece we wrote. But uh, yes, she is patterns and fabrics, but also their warmth. The way they hold you just by being close. Yes, muslin curtains, but also the way they catch the light. Refracting and reflecting back strong sparks of sun before it touches the ground. Thank you, Michelle, for your time. <laughs> send those to me. <laughs> oh, no, absolutely. I was yeah. gonna say, we'll just trade. Yeah, let's trade. But thank you so much, Michelle. This was wonderful. Um, Michelle and I are friends, and now we are even closer. Yeah, we're even closer. Uh, anything else, Michelle? no um that's it again just to reiterate what Liv said I am so glad to have like known her and to like sit down and talk with her because I feel like rarely even friends get this chance mm-hmm. to like go over their entire backstory so please do do this with your friends for fun and yes thank you Koto for putting us into contact with each other giving us this opportunity this podcast is so helpful for internationals I listen to it myself and thank you for featuring me on it absolutely all right thank you all for listening have a great day Woo! Sweet!